Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 6 of the Fun Engagement Pod. A lot of people talk about fun engagement, but rarely do you find that they actually talk about it with the people that it's there for, the fans. This episode features three of the most impressive fan organisations and the people in charge of them that I ever worked with in my previous career with Supporters Direct. They are Cat Law from the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, Dan Crawford from the Fulham Supporters Trust, and Jay McKenna, who used to be the chair of the Liverpool Supporters Trust, Spirit of Shankly. This was a great discussion with a group of people who really know their stuff and have immense experience and a great deal of wisdom gained from years of dealing with the decision makers at club, league, and in the case of CAT, FA Level 2. This was another episode split into two parts, and this is part two. So tell me... um, uh, there's something you know because I'm trying. One of the things that um, I think everyone has a problem with, everyone has a difficulty with, um, is trying to imagine the other person and what their you know what their issues are, what their difficulties are. Now, when you obviously transplant that into something like football, which is always moving at a million miles an hour, it's a tough one. But people do it. So, given that, um, given that it is possible, and there are plenty of clubs that manage it, and that's not you know. It's not. It's not an impossible thing to do. Why do so many clubs seem to have such? Um, well, I mean, I'll put it frankly. At times, difficult relationships with uh, with organised fans, because that's what we're really thinking about here: is organised fans. It's a, it's an area that a lot of clubs have had trouble with over the years. They found it difficult. It's something that um, you know also um, you know leagues struggle with. Um, they find it difficult. Um, they don't always do themselves favours, but you know it's a difficult relationship. Jay, tell me why, in your view, it, clubs struggle with these people sat opposite them um, in in the circumstances we're talking about, or these people who are representing fans. Why is there why why is there from their perspective that difficulty? Why do you think that difficulty exists? Uh, I, I think the well. I, I don't think they appreciate that the role of a supporter and the way supporters view their football clubs has changed. So as Dan says, you know, those who are involved in supporters groups maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago might have been more, you know, the traditional arranging coaches to matches, you know, wanting to talk to the club about the mascot or something like that. You know, re- relatively low level stuff. Um, and and they, so when they've gone to do stakeholder engagement, they think that means the players and their representatives, the sponsors and the partners, the board or the shareholders, they, they see that as an internal club thing, nothing external, unless they're doing some community relations. And then also when they do meet us in the room, they, I, I think they hugely underestimate us as people. You know, I, 
Yeah, we all know our own backgrounds here. We know what some of us do in, as a day job and, and the level that some of us do that at. We've me, Kat, me and Kat here, and have been lots of times to meetings at the Premier League. And you've come away from meeting some of those people, and I think they think you're smarter than you. I think they think you're just a football fan, that you're just someone who has rocked up from White Hart Lane, Craven Cottage or Anfield on the day, your season ticket in your back pocket, and you've just come to moan to them about how it's not done. And they don't ask you or think about what you do as a day job. They don't think what you might know, or that, you know, in my experience, and certainly at Liverpool, that some of the people involved in our, in our supporters' trust at times will do a damn sight better job and be more qualified and capable of doing some of their jobs than the people we've sat opposite. And it, what, what something that, as, as an example of this, it, I didn't go to it, but we were, so about four or five of our representatives did, they met George Gillette, and it was, I think, 2008 or nine. we were having a mass march on Anfield, and I was down at the march, organising the mobilisation and, and the march up to the ground. There's about four or five people, uh, Peter Luton, who, who's on our committee, but is singing in the farm, a, lad, a fellow called Nicky Alt, who's a playwriter and an author, but have been the match. Uh, Paul Rice, who was our chair and, and passed away, and a few others. And George Gillette sits there with his advisor, apparently, and sort of politely tries to do the, you know, tell me your name, tell me a bit about yourself, tell me what you do. You know, as if, like, you know, he's half expecting, I think, people to say, yeah, you know, I'm a brickie, I'm a postie. And they start naming these jobs. And he's just expecting manual work, because he's just expecting, you know, blue-collar people. And there's nothing against that. There's lots of people who've been involved in our stuff who are blue-collar who, who, who are extremely bright and capable. But he starts hearing people saying, chief executive, playwright, and stuff. And apparently his face dropped because his interpretation of who we were was seen through the prism of the colours we were and that we, we go through the turnstile. And because we're irrational enough to love these football clubs and play, put these footballers on pedestals, and because we're daft enough to pay the prices to watch these uh, people we idolise, they almost then think, I, I, I believe, think we're daft people. And even when they know we're not, even when they think we're not, and even when they probably tell themselves and believe themselves that they don't think that of us, it just seems to seep in to how they do stuff. So never have I been to a meeting where someone said to me, or not often enough have I been to a meeting at the Premier League and said to me, well, what would you do? And what would be the benefit of us doing that? They almost think it's just coming with a list of asks and they've got to find ways to bat it away rather than that if they actually sit down and listened and understood and engaged which I do, again, I say, you know, I think Liverpool have done this better in the last couple of years. They might see there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a win-win in this. You know, there's a bit of a quid pro quo and it benefits us both. So there, I mean, there are certainly a couple, I mean, there's a couple of clubs that always spring to mind for me when I talk about this stuff. And at least one of them will be one familiar with you is Norwich City. I mean, Ben Kensel there, the Chief Operating Officer. I've had a good long chat with him, not on the podcast yet. Hopefully that will happen. Um, Liam Scully is another one. Um, who's the chief executive of Lincoln City. And they will acknowledge that it's tough because um, fans are demanding people. You know, if you're looking after their football club, um, you know, which almost anyone running a football club would acknowledge they really are merely custodians, um, uh, that it's tough because the demands can be really hard and, and you can sometimes feel like you're being pulled always. But those two people particularly come to mind when I think of how 
you tread that line and that you do spend time listening to people. Ryan Sparks is another one at Bradford, the direct uh, communications director there. He spends a lot of time just talking to people and listening, listening to what they have to say about what's going on. There's a great video at the moment with uh, a Bradford City site called Don and Tom, I think it is. Um, and if you just look right, look for Ryan Sparks, you can find it on find him on Twitter, and you'll find the the video. It's a terrific little example of just being there talking to people. How much of it is just Dan Cat that um, just being, you know, how much is, is is resolved without even being spoken? Just because you get to sit in front of people, and and they have to well, <laughs> they have to listen to what you have to say, or they do listen to what you have to say even if they don't always take the advice, how much do you think gets dealt with in advance because of that relationship? Because that's there. Uh, Dan, go on. Um, some of it, certainly, but I, I wouldn't underestimate the, the hard yards that you have to put in to get to that position, uh, Kev. You know, you have to build up. Um, and Jay's point is, is absolutely right. Well, I, I had a version of this experience when I met a previous chief executive of, uh, of Fulham um, who sort of was expecting us to spend a whole meeting talking about catering and who should play centre forward. You know, that was his concept of what a, of what a supporters trust um, w w was about. So you do spend a, a bit of time um, having to educate people, build up that relationship and um, learn, feel each other out almost, learn a little bit about um, what, he, what, what the art of the possible actually, actually is. Um, but what, when you do have that relationship, and it's so important to say you've got to have the right people in the room. So Jay spoke about ticket, ticket office managers and, and people who, once you've got a dialogue going, can, can help you in that regard. You know, we have developed relationships with particular members of staff who you can go to without the need for there, there to be a meeting. You know, where you've got a dialogue together, where you, something comes up and, and you can resolve it um, there and then. But I think fundamentally, people have to grasp that um, supporters' organisations are not just there to, um, to protest. You know, we do have um, insight to offer. And, and frankly, you know, it's the vehicle for, for having, a, having a discussion. You know, some the frustrations that we have currently are that you don't necessarily make as much progress as you would like on a on a wealth of issues, depending on um, what else is in the intray, if you like. You know, so the sort of longer term stuff that you want to want to work on, you might have to sort of prioritise um, what you push for um, in order to make. Uh, to make sure that something doesn't get lost. But, you know, a good relationship helps, but it's not a panacea. You know, if they don't, you know, we're not in a position where, um, you know, like, like, like everyone in, in, in this conversation, you know, all of our clubs are, are owned by wealthy individuals. You know, nothing is going to change the fact that if they don't want to do something because they fundamentally think it's a bad business idea, they're not going to do it. No platitudes or warm words are, are going to change that. But I think when you can demonstrate that you've got, you have that, you can add value, 
in an area where they don't they don't think about um, too much, they will listen to you. How far they take your advice, if at all, is a sort of movable feast. Pat, tell me tell me about a little bit more about um you know I don't know what detail you can go into, but tell me a little bit more about what happened over the furlough scheme, um, because you raised it and obviously the reaction of Spurs fans. Um, you, you, you explained a little bit online. Um, just tell me a little bit about how you approach this issue with the football club, because this is a this is difficult because you built a good relationship. You're in the room with them. This is hard. This is yeah, where the hard yards are done. Tell me. And I, I'm happy to top line it, but we did say at the time that we were just going to draw a line under it. You know, uh, we thought it, that the, the the club actually took um, it took a, a, a big person and uh, to say, look we made a mistake. So we weren't going to like to drag it out and completely post-mortem. But basically, um, initially our, our reaction was, we're not a staff union. So this is a really tricky one for us because without knowing the exact financial details, look, Tottenham's obviously a wealthy club, but it's also built a billion pound stadium. And we've got to pay that back. And it's built that stadium and built that business on a vent. So whether that's NFL or whether that's a capital summertime ball or an anti Joshua fight or whatever, and they have all vanished in a puff of smoke. So we've got debts to service on this magnificent stadium, and this couldn't have happened at a worse time. So I think we do need to be mindful that there is a financial imperative here. It would have been very easy for us to step in and speak on behalf of staff who we don't represent and say, we don't want you using that furlough scheme, yada, yada, yada. However, we needed to make sure that we had assurances that no member of staff will be made redundant if they didn't use that scheme. Our absolute ultimate aim in all of this was protecting jobs and protecting jobs of the staff. Uh, if they could absolutely prove to us by sharing their figures that the only way out of this, bearing in mind no player had made taken a pay cut and Joe Lewis, who's our owner, was just off on his yacht in the Bahamas somewhere, um, then we, you know, we, we never came, we actually never outrightly condemned them for using or wanting to use that scheme. We just asked them to evidence why they had to use that scheme because our, our overall riding priority was that every member of staff had a, you know, had a job. So that's where we came from. Um, I think both our discussions with them, putting the fan point of view over, which was an awful lot to do with reputation management, actually. Uh, fans want to be proud of their clubs. And we didn't want to be sat in a stadium when we could eventually get back there. And every visiting set of fans is singing songs about us, taking money off the taxpayer, and it just would not have been fun. And I think there was a lot of embarrassment and there was a lot of anger as well. And the fans turned on the club, which I hadn't actually seen happen in such a way before. Uh, but they felt very strongly about that up from a, a point of principle almost. Um, so I think once we managed to point out the absolute PR disaster that this was, and I mean, it wasn't getting any better for them, let's be honest, uh, but also agreed with them that we would review um, at the end of the furlough scheme or if their situation became worse financially, that they might need to activate using that, how we'd, how we'd get around that, basically. And in the end, we did say, look, Spurs aren't a club that changed their mind on many things. I've sat in a boardroom with Devil for seven years. If they've made their mind up on a policy position, it is virtually impossible 
to change their mind. Now, we've had wins with heads of department. So on something that might be a point of ticketing or a safety issue, then yes, of course, we, we work with those heads of department and we'll feed in and we've got a really constructive two-way relationship with them. But when it comes down to policy decisions, which sit at the executive board level, once the five of those have made their mind up, you are really hard pushed to get them to change it. So for them to do the U-turn on that, it was quite an exceptional set of circumstances and wouldn't have been something that they'd have embraced. So we wanted to give them credit for at least recognising how badly they read the room. Well, look, I mean, I think it's worth saying, I mean, I'm, I'm on record as saying, um, in, I think when Saturday comes, actually, I felt a lot of this was, um, was, was just people piling in on football and, and, you know, in one sense, you want businesses, you want football clubs to run themselves at least financially in a, in a business-like fashion. And then when they do, um, everyone piles in and has a go. Now, obviously, the politics are very different in the case of um, uh, uh, the virus and the furlough scheme. But I think it is worth recognising that point about um, being, big, being big, big enough to admit mistakes. For football clubs, I think it is clubs in general, sporting institutions like this, they're not, this isn't the kind of relationship they usually have had to um, work through, is it? It's, um, it's a very different kind of dynamic to meet a group of people who will say things to your face that no one else will say. And that obviously, I mean, journalists have historically never been um, until the last sort of 15 or 20 years and David Conn and the rise of people like that um, and those sorts of journalists who dig on, on football finances. Journalists have never really asked those kind of stories. So perhaps there's a little bit of you're representing all of these, uh, uh, all these things they've never really, some people have never really had to hear. And it's not an easy thing to get used to, perhaps for some people. Maybe that's the difficult. Go on, please. Yeah, who's, yeah, was it you, Jay? Me, yeah. I, I, think, I think you're right there, Kevin. This is, this is a learning curve for some of them. You know, everything they've been told about football has, has changed and it's changing at a rapid pace and fans are more informed, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't networking like we were because of, you know, there wasn't the social media channels to do that. So I've been networking amongst your own fans, being able to mobilise quickly on issues online the way you'd have. So, you know, furlough, with the furlough scheme of them 15 years ago, this wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have got the reaction. It did. What what I find fascinating of, of clubs on this, though, is they, they tend to repeat their mistake. So they... And it's not a bad experience for them to get sometimes. It can be a chaser than one, you know, having to apologise and having your entire fan base, you know, say something of your Liverpool's owners have had to do it a few times. Um, and particularly seemingly at a sore point when they get called greedy, we find, and they, and they apologise. But then they do things that make them look greedy. Um, so people say it again. And 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 I, what, what always amazes me with football is how they, they don't learn from something that's happened and think, let's do this better next time so use the failure one you know personally you know i i, I wait for the tuc in a day job we're welcoming companies that fail own people because it keeps them in work we're welcoming the companies that are, are topping it up with 20 percent. so if someone had to come to me i think on the saturday liverpool announced and said liverpool are paying 100 percent of failure i remember being i was in the queue at sainsbury's at the time stood outside and i got a text about it and i like had to text a few people going am i and I always step here because I, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's, you know, it's what companies probably are expected to do. But, but part of that, I admit, is 
I know that football clubs aren't these multi-billion pound businesses that they like to portray themselves as, that the money comes in on one day and disappears, usually the very next. They're not very cash-rich. Um, there's just, you know, certain salaries that and, and, and sums of money that make it look bigger than it, it, it probably is. But if if Spurs had got in touch with Cat, Liverpool had got in touch with me or Joe or anyone else at Spurs and Charity, they'd have said, right, we're thinking of doing this. What do you think people might say? Now, as Dan said, I get I used to get them calls about tickets and different things. And Liverpool would sometimes be amazed when you go, yeah, I think people will be okay with that. Or if you do this, I think it'll be okay. It gives them something they want, you get something you want. If they'd have done that, I think loads of this would have been avoided. Or, or certainly the heat from it. And you'd have said to them, they're going to do this. People are going to be angry. What then amazes me is when you tell them, and, and I think clubs misunderstand it, you say to them, fans are going to be angry at that. And they almost think, nah, they won't. As if me, Kat and Dan and others have just gone in the room and thought, what can we say fans will be angry about today? I made it up on the spot. And then fans get angry and they go, oh yeah. And it's like, it, it, we, we are authentic. We are literally saying what people are saying. You know, we are fans. Because if we, if we were, we wouldn't be in the representative roles that we, we held or, or do hold. So if clubs come and speak to us on that, we would be able to say to them, well, they might say this. Or they might say that. Um, if you don't do it this way, it will look like this instead. And I'll, I'll fail out a great example. Liverpool, you know, the reason Liverpool fell into this trap is months ago, Liverpool had posted about how they made record profit. You can't post about making record profit. You can't talk about winning the Champions League and the financial successes of that. You can't take a kit supply, a kit, a kit sponsor to court so you can get a better kit manufacturer and all of this stuff and then say, oh, but we need the government's money. You, you can't plead poverty and tell everyone how rich you are. So we'd have been saying, there's gonna, you're going to look hypocritical here. Even though they're not the same, that's how it's going to be perceived. Lo and behold, that's what happens, and Liverpool realise is how it looks is more important than what it actually is. And, you know, I, and I think there's something, Kevin, what you say about some of the lower league clubs. I think they get that almost because it's on a smaller scale, but I think there's a thing when people who are involved in the running of football clubs at a big level, because there's, it's multi-million pound deals and you know hundreds of millions of pounds of money coming in and out, it's almost like some of these officials at clubs, the ones who don't get it and listen to us, almost think that they somehow are like, you know, you know to borrow a phrase we used to say of Christian Pears, the Fernando Torres of finance, you know, that they imagine themselves to be the the football equivalent of, you know, a managing director or the football equivalent of a, you know, a chief executive and they think they're playing championship manager. And it's this idea that, no, you are just a person doing a job and we've got something to contribute. But just because your business is worth hundreds of millions doesn't mean, you know, you are somehow more knowledgeable to what fans are saying and thinking. And they just fall into these often. You know, sometimes we lay the traps, sometimes they're not apparent, but they keep falling into these traps and they never seem to listen that if they ask someone about where these traps might be, they might stop falling into them sometimes. And we could all probably, we could spend a bit less time in the room and they could spend a bit less time having to fix the problems. Right. I want to bring this to a close and I want to do the cliche <laughs> because you have to do this, this sort of thing. Um, 
I mean, look, look, I could for a start talk to you three for hours on end because you've got there's so much wisdom in the well, not in the room, in the virtual room. Um, huge amounts of experience on the on, on all three of you, and and not just in what you do or have have done in the case of you for for for, for your supporters' trust for your fan organisations, also in your professional lives. Um, but I've just I wanted to just get um, a little something I can you know something that people can take away. What would you advise any football club, um, you know, the managing director, the chief executive, head of communications, the owner, the major shareholder, um, you know, the, the people actually dictating strategy and working out how the club, the business is run on a day to day basis? Um, what is there one piece of advice? I mean, it might not be. Please be honest. Is there one piece of advice that you would give them in terms of relationships organized fan groups with in particularly with supporters trust these days but is there one piece of advice or is that just not possible cat yes cat um, please I'm, say, I'm, I'm echoing back to what jay said actually and i think it's been a constant source of frustration that certainly the the, the football club that or the people in football that i've worked with have consistently underestimated the skill set of the people who work within their fan organisations. So utilise that. Uh, you know, uh, both myself and Martin Clates, who's my co-chair, we're both comp specialists. You've got a gift here, guys. You know, utilise that. And for example, when we were building our new stadium, we had so many architects and whatever else within the fan base who were more than willing to help the club. We're not the enemy. So, you know, don't, don't always be suspicious of us. And don't be fooled into thinking that we represent a vocal minority because most of the time we don't. And so, you know, embrace us, bring us into the room. That's my, uh, that's my request. Jay. Um, I, won't, I won't repeat any of what Kat said there because it, that, 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 that's, that's right. I, I, I think there's, well, it's probably two things if I, can, um, if, I can, if I can do this. Find the bits where you might agree with fans would be a wise thing to do. And, and build the relationship that way, work together on some stuff. The way we actually started what was initially positive discussions about ticket prices was you put on the table all the things you want to do and we'll put on the table all the things we want from this process. And we might actually find there's some bits in the middle where we can just agree and we can deal with them things. It's now taking a bit of time to get to that point, but but you can do that if, you, if, 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 if you're willing. But I... I think you've got to try and understand where fans come from. We were there. They, they've got to place this psychology of these fans were here before I was and they will be here after I am. And even if they don't agree with our idea that, you know, a mistake that was made 10 years ago wasn't their fault. I know it's not their fault, but it doesn't mean the fans forget it. It doesn't, you know, and, and the example I'll give, I remember talking to Liverpool about tickets and Liverpool saying to me, that happened before we bought the club in 2010. And I was sat in a room that's named after the Liverpool manager, Joe Fagan, who won the European Cup in 84. And it listed the honours on the wall. And I said, yeah, and he won all them trophies before 2010 as well. But you, you like to, you know, dine out on them still. So you can't own the good bits and not, not the rest. And they seemingly think of their time of when they begin to start a, start a job or take ownership of the club and ignore the fact that, you know, my Liverpool experience started when I, you know, first got a Liverpool shirt put on me by my dad. All of that happened, all of what's happened has shaped how I think about them today, good and bad. 
and I and I don't think they ever ever try to understand that. So Cat's experience as a Spurs fan is shaped from every match she's ever been to. So that influences how she talks about a stadium and what she wants from a stadium. And yet they think it's just some kind of like, well, it's just a project and it's only a thing it's all in that moment. And I think that's if they try to understand us a bit better, and as you say, Kev, just listen sometimes, they might discover there's a there's a bit of commonality. Dan, you get the last word, mate. Oh, so I think there's a lot, you know, I'm, I'm merely only echoing what's been what's been said during this discussion. But first of all, clubs and the people representing clubs shouldn't be defensive about going into this dialogue. Nor literally, if you put it in commercial terms, we've literally got an opportunity to meet with all your consumers and test your ideas before you implement them. You've got a captive audience and it's not like these people are going to go and shop at another store or you know go and go uh, or, or go over the roads to to support the to support the opposition you know you're in a you've got an opportunity here to to road test what you're trying to do and i find too often especially when i'm talking to to representatives of other clubs who don't have this um relationship that that to, to differing um, to differing amounts of success that we've all been 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 involved in over this past period, I find that they're worried about you know the pitfalls of of engaging with their supporters, and that's just the wrong way around. You know, as both as both Cat and Joe have said, there's immense um, there's immense insight and intelligence amongst football fans. You know. Lo and behold, that that's so, so, so revolutionary. Um, trust trust your instincts in terms of going into that room and finding that 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 commonality, and you'll be very surprised at, at what may what at what may come out. You know, you'll find that people do have an understanding of the, of the business world because lots of supporter representatives work in that. Um, environment every day you know the idea that your support your your season ticket holders are not going to understand balance sheets and the competing pressures um, of, of the modern business world is just laughable nowadays so they should tr they should trust it trust the process see what you can get from it and you might get some decent ideas you know you may not it might be a it might be a complete disaster but just deciding not to try because you know from where from where we started this conversation just deciding not to try because inherently you think as a, an owner or a representative of a football club that you know more than, than somebody else is a recipe for disaster in itself 